Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. I want to continue on because I believe um, that the main shift that we are going through as a church is quite often in our perspective. There are perspectives that we need to shift in in order uh, to step into all that God has for us. So, Beck and I, we moved to Carlisle beginning of last year, and one of the things that we love is that there are local cafes everywhere, and there's good coffee. We are on the land flowing with coffee and chai. I don't know. Is that okay? We'll call it chai. And... Um, and I frequent a local cafe. What I like to do is that at least once a week I go to this cafe um, because they always have spots. Their coffee is great. It doesn't look like that, but that's a cafe. And um, I don't want you to know my cafe because you're going to get into my space. It's called um, Maccas. Yeah, Maccas once a week. They always got tables. Uh, the coffee is... No, I go to a cafe. Great coffee, great space. That's a bit of quiet time for me to be able to often write down my message, get that all ready and to prepare for the Sunday. And when I go in, because now I'm a regular customer, I've been following this pattern for a little while. When I go in, they say, hey, how are you going? Mugga cappuccino? Because that's my name to them. <laughs> I'm a mugger cappuccino to them. I am that regular that they know me by my order. There's a strict pattern to my existence. It makes my life a lot easier because I don't have to talk to people. I say, yep, tap the card and walk off and they give me my coffee three, four minutes later. It's amazing. We've got this system down pat. Now, Beck doesn't subscribe to that system at all. When she goes to a cafe, it is like she's seen that cafe for the first time in her whole entire existence. It's, like it's the same cafe, they serve the same drinks. And there's nothing new about the menu today. So why is it taking you so long to choose? It might be a soy chai, it might be an almond flat white, almond milk flat white, it might be a peppermint tea one day. And she, so, so the poor ladies, they see her and they know they're going to have at least a five minute wait <laughs> in front of them. It doesn't matter whether there's a hundred people in line. Beck still needs the time to choose her drink for the day. How many people are like me? How many people are like Beck? Oh my. Are you serious? We will pray for all of you later. And God will give you clarity about the drink that you're supposed to order. A breakthrough this morning. But whether you are like me or whether you're like Beck, the truth is that you are still following a script. The script for my life is that I'm at a coffee shop to do work. And the coffee is amazing. In fact, it is important. It is pivotal for me to be able to write these amazing words down. But really, for me, going there is more about being able to get into a zone, and that's my script. So the, the drink doesn't make that much of a deal to me because I know the drink that works, right? So I don't have to spend more time thinking about the drink. I'm already thinking about the message. When, I, when I'm driving in my car, I'm already thinking, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to write this? And I'm already processing. I go there. I don't even have to make a choice about drink because it's done. But for Beck, she's also following a script. For her, she lives in a moment. She is free to experience 
the smells and the sights of the day. And it depends on her mood, on her stomach, on what she's planning to have a little bit later. And because of all of those factors, she takes the time to choose, but both of us are following a script. Do you know that there are scripts to all of our lives? In fact, research would say that, would suggest that most of the scripts that we follow in our life have been set before we are five years old. A lot of the scripts, a lot of the choices that we make in our lives have been set because these patterns work for us. And so we follow these scripts because they are shortcuts to some extent to help us to manage the complexity of life. We need these scripts. We need these things to be able to work through the complexity of life. But there are moments and there are times where these scripts are not very good for us. There are moments and there are times in our life where we need to examine these scripts and we need to know what they are saying to us and where they are leading us. One such example was the Titanic. When they engineered this, well, what was a modern marvel at that time, they thought that they had built the unsinkable ship. They talked about this as though it was an unsinkable ship even before it touched the water. And so there was this script that all of these engineers, all of the powers to be, they followed this idea, this script, this ship is unsinkable. So what did they do? They didn't put on as many lifeboats as they needed to. They weren't as diligent in the way that they were uh, riding, sailing. This. No, you're not sailing a Titanic. What do you do? Drive it? Cruising? You're cruising this cruise liner? Let's go with that gone across the water. They weren't as diligent as they could have been. Why? Because there was a script, there was a shortcut. We're unsinkable. Do you know that the Titanic sank because, directly because of one of the things that they said would make it unsinkable? Instead of having one ballast at the bottom, they broke it up into 16 different chambers. And these 16 chambers, they thought in their mind, uh, they are completely sealed so that when one of them is ruptured and water fills it, it will not fill all of the compartments. And so it's unsinkable because only one sixteenth of this ballast is being filled. What they thought when the Titanic hit the iceberg is that they thought at least five, six of these tanks would have been filled with water. What they found was one. That ballast was filled with water and it became so heavy that the Titanic sank that way because of the one. In fact, if it did not have that compartment, the water would have spread out and it would have probably saved more lives. The unsinkable ship script killed people. What script are you holding in your life? What script are you following in your life? Do you know whether it truly is unsinkable or not? Do you know whether it's leading you to a place of health or will you actually sink when the, I was going to say rubber hits the road, but I'm going to say the, the cruise liner hits the iceberg. Because all of us know that at some point in our life, there is going to be an iceberg that stands in our way. What's going to happen? Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to give you a bit of a rundown before we read some Bible. Uh, there was this prophet named Elijah, 
Elijah is amazing. We all know a little bit about Elijah. If you've been around church enough, we love stories about Elijah because he is spectacular. He's amazing. And, and part of this was actually the start of his prophetic journey uh, in his call that God had called him to. And what he did was that uh, God had told him to go to King Ahab, a very wicked king, a king who was leading Israel away from God. And, and he, were, he said to Ahab, it will not rain until I say so. That was what was going on. So Elijah goes to Ahab, says, it will not rain until I said so. God has given me the authority. God's given me the power. Pretty amazing. And then what he does after that is that he goes away and leaves a place so that Ahab is not able to find him and force him to say, let it rain or whatever it is. And um, so he goes to the wilderness for a little while. God sustains him with a little creek, but the creek dries up in the drought. And then God sends him to Zarephath. Now, Zarephath is a land, it is a little town north of Israel. It is not Israel. It is not Israeli territory. It is north of it. Just keep that in mind. And, and God tells him that there is a widow in Zarephath that is going to care for all of his needs. And so we're going to read from verse 10. So Elijah went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, as God had said. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it. And die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This was a widow, a non-Jewish widow. But even in that time, widows were not, were not supported by the state. In, when you look through the Bible, you will often see that God had told the Israelites that you must look after the orphan and the widow, the poor and the oppressed. Widows were seen as poor and oppressed. They were not able to sustain their lives very well because in ancient culture, men were the breadwinners. They would bring home the food. They would bring home the resources in order that they can survive. When a woman loses her husband, she actually loses something extremely significant for the daily life. And that's what this woman was experiencing. She was not Israeli, which means that she would not have come under the culture where they were instructed by God to look after the widow. She was all alone, and she had a son on top of that. And so she would probably have developed a certain script after her husband died. I'm all alone now. Everything depends on me. No one else is going to come and help me from this point on. I want you to put yourself in this woman's shoes. No one is going to come to help me. No one, for me to hope 
is to put hope in a fantasy. For me to hope is to hurt myself because this is not going to happen. This culture does not allow for persons such as myself to have hope. And so when this prophet comes to her and asks for a little favor, the way that she replies is very instructive. She doesn't say as surely as whatever God lives. She said as surely as the Lord, your God. She recognized somehow that Elijah had something different about him, that there was possibly a, a presence of God around. Maybe, or maybe she was simply just trying to say something pretty normal, pretty just like whatever, you know, as surely as whatever. But she says, as surely as the Lord, your God. But you have a God to protect you. I have none. You have a God that might be instructing you and giving you a hope and a future, but not me. I don't have that available to me. That is not my lot. And I'm willing to subscribe to it. How cruel that God would send his starving prophet to a woman that had no hope and no resource. How cruel that God would say, this person who has nothing is the one that's going to sustain you. How cruel it must have been for this woman who was on her last legs to have to hear someone say, give me something. Have you ever been in a place where you felt you had nothing more to give and then someone comes and says, give me more? Do you know how frustrating that could be? Do you know how, why is this happening? Why, is this hap why does this have to happen to me? Why is it that I'm already struggling to make ends meet? Not just for myself, I'm not making this all about me, this is about my son. This is about the next generation. This is about another life. And all I can do right now is to prepare one last meal for my son and die. And yet there's this stranger that comes to my doorstep and says, feed me. See, the thing about our script is that it makes sense. In the light of all that you have faced and in the light of all that you've gone through, your script completely makes sense. It tells you how you're supposed to navigate life and it's protected you till this point. But the problem with many of our scripts is that it's not God's script for our life. There is a difference between God's script and my script. And one of the things that I've noticed is that God's script often isn't directly in line with my script. And quite often for me to step into God's story for my life, in God's narrative, God's direction for my life, I have to actually let go of an old script. You know, a while ago, as I was praying, uh, as about three, four weeks ago, I was really praying. I really felt like as a church, we are heading into a new season and that this next year is going to be pivotal uh, because God is bringing about certain things in this church and, and He wants to bring certain things out of this church and into this church as what we are doing. And I was praying. I wanted to know what God was wanting to do. I wanted His blueprint. And I sense God telling me that He wanted to bring about a maturity in people like he actually told me nate you got to stop caring about the numbers for a little while because that's not going to be so important to your church 
I'll do the growth in that numbers and all of that in the right time. But you focus on the growth of people. I was like, wow, that's actually really exciting. I really want that. But then I started to think, what does maturity look like? I know how to gauge a growing church because I can count the number of people that attended. How do I see whether a person has grown or not? How do I see whether a person is wanting to grow or not? And as I was kind of sitting with that question, I felt God put something very simple to me. He said, maturity is the ability to take on a new perspective. That's, that's it. Maturity is the ability to take on a new perspective. And as I was thinking about this, and Beck and I have had to really work uh, at understanding child development because that's part of where we're going through adoption and we're going through assessments. Last Thursday was the worst one yet because we don't know anything about children apparently. And um, you know, asking us things like this and that. Uh, let me tell you a funny story because it feels like everyone's a bit quiet this morning. Um, so uh, literally we were asked, you know, what kind of developments are you looking at at a child between zero and one, one and two, two and four, four and six, six and eight. And we literally have to list as many things as we could think of. And so at the four to six year old mark, I was like, okay, kid would be entering preschool. They should be teaching them math. And so I wrote, we'll have some understanding of math. Now, we were filling up worksheet after worksheet after worksheet, and I do not have a good handwriting to begin with. And so the assessor was looking at my answer, and she said, okay, so Nate, at four to six, you wrote, yep, you know, there's this, there's this, and they begin to understand meth, <laughs> like the drug. It was like, and she looked at me, I was like, I was like what did I write? <laughs> Uh, yeah, math. We want to raise a doctor. <laughs> I was like, oh, math. <laughs> and she was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I was like, good. <laughs> it was like, you don't fail. Awesome. But a child grows and their maturity is often seen when they're able to take on a new perspective. For example, between zero to one, a child begins to realize that they are not their mum and mum is not them that there's a separate identity between who they are and who mum is. That causes a lot of anxiety for the child when mum walks away because they think that, where is me? That's all they have seen for all their life. This is mum, she carries me when I cry. And then mum walks away and says, like, where have I gone? That's their perspective when they're under six months old. And then they grow up and they have a new perspective. That's mum, this is me. And then, anyone ever play peekaboo with a child? Do you know why it's exciting to them? It's because they literally think you disappear when you cover your eyes. What in the flipping heck? What's going on? They're like, this is magic. And so they start giggling and laughing because it's like, this is crazy. They're like on an acid trip. This is so much fun. This world doesn't make any sense. And so they're laughing their little heads off. And then at some point, if you go to a six-year-old and you play peekaboo, what happens? They think that you're an idiot. How is that supposed to entertain me? That isn't a magic trick. You're just being an idiot. Why? Because they have developed a new perspective. That when your eyes are covered, you don't disappear. 
You know the kid that says, I'm going to hide now. Oh my gosh, it's hilarious. But at the same time, like if you grow, if you don't change that perspective of life, that's going to be terrible. Imagine going to a war and everyone's camouflaging. <laughs> it's ridiculous. We change our perspective because we mature. But in our Christian lives, in our walk of faith, how many changes of perspective have you had recently? Honestly. When it comes to some of these adult questions that we have, we hold on to the old script, like our life matters on it. And God is trying to bring a new script into our lives, but we're going, no, 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 because for me to reach that script, I have to let go of this script. So how many times have you changed your script? Look at this story because I feel like this is such a key for us to understand. For this widow to step into the miracle, she had to let go of the little that she had left. The miracle didn't happen until she baked Elijah a loaf of bread. Did she know the jar did not automatically fill up to the top before she baked the bread? In fact, the amount never changed for the next few years. Every single day was an exercise of faith for this lady because every single day she was on that last loaf of bread. Can you imagine what it's like saying, I'm living by faith literally every single day could be the last day that this flower doesn't run out. Tomorrow it could run out because that's all that there is left in this little container. The Bible doesn't tell us that the moment Elijah stepped in, that the jars were filled and her faith was invigorated. She still needed to step out and to say, all right. And there was this script running through her mind. No one ever comes to the aid of a widow. No one ever comes to an aid of a widow. I am no one. So why would God, not my God, your God, why would He reach into my life and give me a new script? Why? Because He cares for you. He cared so much. And this is the God perspective in the story. I have this prophet who's starving. I have this widow who is going to starve. Let me get them together and provide for them together. That looks like a good plan. Let's do that. And widow over here in her perspective is like, who's this idiot who's coming to me? Who wants to take the last of my bread? Maybe on Elijah's side, it's like, this is crazy. She's supposed to provide for me? I think I'm supposed to provide for her. She doesn't have anything. Why am I going there? But God's like, yeah, this is a good idea. This is a great idea. I think this is going to work very nicely. So are we going to take our perspective on the situation? Or are we going to take God's perspective on the situation? What has God been speaking to you about? about your life that you are scared to see. See, God is a God of flipping our old scripts. He takes that script and He sees it and He understands it. And what He often does is that He challenges it through circumstances. He doesn't just go, let me tell you how it works. And then He tells it to you. And then you're like, oh, 
Amazing. Yes, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Thank you. No, no. My story is that God speaks to me in the midst of this struggle that I'm having. And I go, really? No. That sucks. New plan, please. My plan's better. Why don't you give me a million dollars right now? And God doesn't give us a million dollars. And I'm like, what? You want me to give when I've got nothing? You want me to sow when I've got nothing? You want me to let go of control of my situation to you? How many people have said that before? I've said that so many times. But what I've realized is that the times of greatest growth in my life is when I've allowed God to flip my script. When I say that our maturity takes on new perspectives, I'm not just saying any perspective. I'm saying a God perspective, one who is higher, one who sees more, one who sees greater, one who sees beyond the bounds of time, one who sees my beginning and my end, one who sees me through the lenses of love, one who sees me as how I have been created to be. And what I have needed to do is to allow God to come in and to flip my script. I want to just quickly share with you how I believe God often flips our script. In a couple of chapters later, in chapter 19, we see Elijah again. This time around, he has, um, he has uh, defeated the prophets of Baal, who are the ones who are uh, under the king's employ and have been taking the nation away. Now, Elijah has this amazing victory. He's called the battle on Mount Carmel. He wins. Amazing. Go read that story. But then from there, the queen Jezebel sends Elijah a death threat. Now, Elijah has just killed something like 500 prophets. And this queen sends him this little death threat. And so what does he do? He doesn't say, bring it on. He goes, this sucks. And so he runs away. How crazy that we do that. But you see, Elijah was also following a script there. He thought that this was going to be the final battle. This was going to be it. This battle on Mount Carmel was going to change the whole nation once and for all. This was supposed to be the revival that God was supposed to bring. And so when it did not change things as he wanted it to, he thought that everything was falling apart. And so he runs away into the desert and he tells his servant to leave him alone. Now he's completely isolated and he tells God this. He says, I am the only one left and I can't do anything about it. So just take my life. God speaks to him because God loves him and tries to turn him around. But Elijah refuses to allow God to flip his script and so what happens is that Elijah ends up being told to pass on his mantle to Elisha. It's my belief that Elisha completes what Elijah should always have completed. The anointing that was on Elijah's life was completed by Elisha. But because he did not flip his script, he gave up the calling. He gave up the ability to fully step into all that God had for him. I believe it is God's grace that Elijah did not taste death, that he took it as far as he could, ran uh, Elisha through his training, and then God took him. But there are key moments in this where Elisha isolates himself and doesn't allow anyone else to tell him how this is meant to work. How many of you are isolated right now and you do not have anyone in your life to tell you what God's script for your life might be. I'm being absolutely serious here. 
One of the key things about Lyft and seeing people grow is that God speaks to individuals, absolutely, 100%. But I've also seen that more often than not, God speaks through other people into your life. Elijah, sorry, Elijah was needed in the widow's life to flip the script. Why couldn't God have just done it himself? Because God uses people. In order for your script to be flipped, you need people who are closer to God than you are right now who are listening to God for themselves and for you in order to speak into your life. The number of people that I sit with and I know that this is a waste of time because they're just like, no, I don't need this. I'm going to do this my old way. You know what the Bible says about that? It's like a dog going back to vomit. I'm not trying to be harsh here. It's teaching you the word of God. Your script leads you to vomit and you keep going back. You want something different? You want proper food, not vomit? Listen to wisdom. Find wisdom. Allow someone to teach you how vomit isn't good enough for you. It sounds stupid, but how many people are trapped in anxiety? Why do you keep going back to the vomit of anxiety? I'm not saying it's easy. Because this widow had to give everything in order to experience a miracle. But how many of you are trapped in depression? Where that darkness is your vomit that you keep going back to. How many of you are trapped in a place where you think that there's nothing valuable in your life worth living for? Why do you keep going back to that vomit? Maybe because it has made you feel safe. But right now you're like the Titanic sinking. You've already got one little thing that is pulling your whole ship down. When God's got something so much more for you. As a church... I feel, I sense this, and God challenges me that I'm not supposed to see church the way that's always run in Western countries. That's why we do lift groups the way that we do. That's why we do discipleship the way that we do. And we're out rolling this. We don't know how it's supposed to work, but I'm giving myself a deadline to make this happen, and that's why I'm talking about it. We're calling discipleship at Lyft second parenting. Why? Because we believe that discipleship and parenting are the same skill set. And so if you want to be discipled, you're asking to be parented. That's basically the gist of it. You get someone in your life who is further along than you are and who's able to nurture you uh, emotionally, physically, psychologically, and spiritually, all-round growth. God often speaks to... How did he speak to that widow? He didn't say, you need to pray more and have more faith in God. You need to give your heart to Jesus. No, Elijah went there and said, there will be food. Let's do this. How does second parenting completely look like? We're still working through it, but God is telling us that we need to flip the script, that we don't just do stuff the way that we always have. And there's so many prophetic words over this church that, that, that Pastor Joel, my senior pastor, said, Nate, there's no blueprint for what you want to do. And I was like, really? Can I just do center point again? <laughs> I do that well. Full-time job, well-paid. Security. But then there's something that is in me that says God is asking us to do something that requires faith, requires trust, requires me to see things differently. And God has flipped my script so many times. The reason why I think second parenting is what we are going to do when it, comes to, um, when it comes to discipleship is because a year ago, this concept was completely foreign to me. 
I was like, no, nah, no, nah, discipleship, you know, you go to a lift group and we let those leaders do their thing there. You know, you, you do discipleship there. And I just provide these circles so people can do discipleship over there. I didn't really see myself as someone who was going to be intimately involved in people's lives. I didn't think that I had what it took. And I'm saying all this from this side of stuff now because I can see why I had so many reservations about it. But over, just over a year ago, God told me, no, you, you need to learn something new. You need to grow up, Nate. And how you're going to grow up is that you are going to become a second parent. It wasn't the language that I was using, that God used then, but it said, you uh, basically, I asked Robin's permission for this, but it just basically said, go be Robin's dad. And I was like, why? I don't know what I'm doing. He said, well, you'll learn, wouldn't you? How many parents here, when you had your child, you had already had a PhD in child rearing? No one? Oh, well, second parenting's the same. I don't know what I'm doing, but it looks like God's calling me to walk with you. Let's try this. So what do we do? We play computer games sometimes. We eat dumplings. We chat. We do life. And through that, I'm just trying my best. But through that, God showed me so many things in my life that was old scripts. You're not good at that. You don't know how to do this. People are too tough. Just deal with the surface level stuff and let God deal with everything else. You know, just, just keep your distance because you don't want to get hurt. And I had all of these scripts in my life. But when I did what God had called me to, these scripts were being pulled out. I could examine it and I could say, I don't want that anymore. Some people in this room today need to change your scripts. You need, you need, you need to. You need to, seriously. Some of you are saying that you will never have a healthy relationship because you don't know and you don't deserve it. Some of you say that you will never have a good night rest because you don't deserve it. You're not good enough for it. Some of you are saying God will never use you because you're too broken. Some of you are saying, I'm just willing to survive on this pay, this everyday kind of life because that's all that I deserve. And you need to flip that script because God's doing something God's maturing you, building you into something so much more. So we can get the band up this morning. One of the key things that God does in our life is that He flips the script on who needs to earn salvation. Seriously, I've lived under that script that I needed to prove myself. I lived under that script for so many years that I'm ashamed by it. That I thought that I could earn my own salvation. And I heard old stories. I grew up in the church. I heard old stories about how Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I say, yeah, the Bible says it, but I don't feel it. I don't know it. I don't think that I'm in that space. But God flipped that script in me. And it was in my darkest, most desperate moment when I realized that I did not have what it took to earn salvation. I'm too frail, I'm too unpredictable, I'm too broken. I don't have what it takes to be perfect enough for eternity. And that's when God said, but I am, and I've given it to you, and I promised it in my word, and you can hold on to it. That's the script that I'm giving you now. 
that there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That the moment I said, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and my Savior, the burden of sin, the weight of sin, the wages of sin fell off my shoulders and fell onto Jesus who saw me when he was hanging on that cross and he said, that's okay, your burden is now mine. I'm able to pay for that and you can run free. I'm bringing you into wide open spaces that you can flourish in because I love you. This week I saw this verse and it stuck with me. God leads me into open spaces because he delights in me. I've seen so many times, take your delight in God, delight in God, delight in God. But when I saw that verse, something stood, stood out to me. It's not just that my delight's in God, it's His delight is in me. How many scripts does that flip for yourself? When you realize that God delights, He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He delights in you. He loves you. See, that concept didn't make sense to me until I became a dad. When I realized what it is like to have a father's heart, and I realized, what God, you have that heart towards me? And it broke me that my God, who I always took as this impersonal boss, this impersonal judge that I needed to prove myself to, I realized, no, nah, He just loves me. Why? Because. Just, just, just because His delight is in me. So this morning, I want to pray for people who want to receive that love and receive that salvation. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and you can say this after me. So everyone just close your eyes and repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for taking my sin and giving me life. Amen. 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 Now, if you said that prayer this morning, we got some Bibles for you at the back. It's a gift from us. But it's also, uh, if you want to go on a 30-day journey with us, we'll send you a daily text message. Uh, just text LIFE to that number that's appearing on the screens. And that is available for you. But this morning, I really sense that there are people that are struggling with your old script. And it's been highlighted to you that the pathway that you are following is actually leading you to destruction and not to maturity, not to wholeness, not to the fullness of what God has for you. If that's the case, can I just invite you? Stay. If you want someone to pray with you, if you need an Elijah to your journey right now, come forward and we'll stand with you and we'll pray with you. We'll try to hear from God for you to bring you clarity about your new script that God is wanting to give to you. So this morning, can you just stand with me? The band will lead us in this song. And I'm going to close in prayer. Our time is up. But if you want prayer, if you want someone to stand with you, if you believe that there's a new script that God is wanting you to live by, or if you just want to know that God even knows you, come on up. Because I believe that there's going to be breakthrough this morning. Dear Jesus, I pray for every person in this room. I thank you for every person that is listening to this message. And I pray that there is a script that you are putting out there, that you love each and every single person, that your delight is in them, that you are bringing something exceedingly abundantly above and beyond into their lives. And I pray for the courage to step out and to live according to the journey that you have got for us. I pray that we have the courage to release ourselves 
ourselves from the old scripts that we have been living in order to take on the scripts that you have for us. So God, we pray that we are open, that you can flip our scripts however way that you need to in order that we can achieve, that we can access the life that you have for us. We thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.